Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. Live from Woodbury, Minnesota, in the Tamarack Tap Room, the Ask Noah Show starts right now. This is the show where we came to do all the things on Linux they said couldn't be done and take your questions on how to do the same. The phone lines are open this hour to be a part of the program. It's a free call, 1-855-450-NOAH, 1-855-450-6624, or send an email to live at asknoahshow.com. My name is Noah Chalai. I am your host. Delighted to be here with you this hour as another episode of the Ask Noah Show kicks off. A full house. We filled up the table. Thank you so much to those of you that came out to see us at the Tamarack Tap Room in Woodbury, Minnesota. If you haven't, there's still time because the show is just getting started. Then right after that, following that, we're going to have some food and some Linux discussions. I noticed that in true Asno spirit, everybody here has brought their laptop, and that's good. Now, we all run in Linux? Okay, that's good. They all say yes. So we have our commemorative uh, 100-episode poster, which... And this, this is what happens. See, there's two ways to get something done right. Tell your kids not to do it or do it yourself. But see, when you pay somebody else to do it, they printed my poster, and they did a fantastic job printing my poster, except they shifted the entire poster like eight inches to the right, and I, I'm not sure what that's about. So we're going to have a lopsided poster. That's what we're going to have. But that's, that's the kind of stuff that we roll with here. Now, I have to, be, I have to warn you, the listening audience, that uh, tonight has, uh, has been... It's a dangerous night, is what I'm trying to say, because um, Brandon Johnson is here, formerly of Red Hat, and uh, the Ubuntu guys are here, Ubi Ports and Simon Quigley, and uh, already, just five minutes into the show, blood has been shed, and they're at each other's throats the entire time, and have been fighting over airtime, throwing glasses of beer and food at each other. It's been, it's been absolutely horrendous. So, more of that as the night goes on. Uh, we'll try to rein them in and try to get them both on and uh, see if they can settle their differences. No. <laughs> so you can hear the battle raging on as, 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 I, as, I, as a true professional overcome and, and continue on. So what I wanted to talk about tonight and uh, what I want to have a discussion, and of course uh, you two can join the discussion at 855-450-6624 or you can join us in our interactive mumble room, mumble.jupiterbroadcasting.org. And um, let's see here. There's Oh, there's a couple people in there, so we'll go ahead and let's turn those guys on. Uh, hey, guys, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, Noah. Hey, thanks for being here. We appreciate it. Uh, I, I'm not going to bother, uh, you know, doing the chat room. Just just pipe up. You got something to say, just just jump in there. Um, so here is uh, here is where I'm at. Where I'm at is we are in the month of November, and if you guys aren't aware, November is Podcaster Month. And so what I've been thinking about as we have gone through uh, some transitions as the Ask Noah show, and if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, episode 99, we announced that after episode 100, after tonight, the Ask Noah show will be an independent production from Jupiter Broadcasting. And we're excited about that change. More information can be found at podcast.asknoahshow.com slash 99. And uh, I, I go into it in incredible detail there. But one of the things that I have been I've been thinking about and that has been on my mind and that uh, I've, I've decided to move forward with is I think there are a lot of people in the community, both in the Asnoa community and outside 
of the Asnoa community just in the in the Linux space that have something to say. They have independent content that they could be creating and and something to say to the world, and they don't have a platform to do it, and they don't have the equipment to do it. I have come into my broadcasting career, as it were, um, it, with kind of a multifaceted approach. See, I, I started doing podcasting and radio almost simultaneously, and so I have gotten deep insight into both the podcasting world and the radio world. And what I have learned over a couple of years of doing this is there are problems that podcasters in 2018 are trying to solve that the radio industry solved 40 years ago. And um, for one reason or another, either by ignorance or by choice, um, the podcasting community has just refused to embrace technologies that work, technologies that have a proven track record, technologies that have uh, stability. And when I show some of these technologies to, to people, sometimes it blows their mind. And they go, man, I, I did not know you could do that. And, and with that level of quality, and why is nobody in the podcast community talking about these technologies? Why is nobody using this stuff? And I don't have an answer to that. I don't know. So, um, on the other side of things, I have watched the radio industry just, just crawl. I mean, in certain areas, they just crawl because they just refuse to join 2018 and, and join the future. And so they continue to use, you know, insanely outdated technologies that have no earthly purpose in a, in a professional broadcast. And at the same time, uh, they, they just they carry on. They just have no interest in, in trying to update. And so it's been a point of frustration to me, to be perfectly honest with you, that uh, I can't get these two industries to kind of say, okay, these guys over here in the right corner are doing something better than these guys over here in the left corner. And these guys in the left corner have some ideas that the guys in the right corner are, are, are looking at. And so what, we wanna, what I want to do is I want to bring those sides together, essentially. Um... The pro some of the problems that I think that we run into when I watch new people getting into to podcasting or broadcasting or creating their own content is uh, the first thing is their recording environment. They often have an, a terrible recording environment if they have one at all. A lot of people are they'll just hook up a USB mic and they'll sit down in their kitchen or next to their furnace or next to their laundry machine and, and, and they just start talking into to, uh, to a, a $15 USB, you know. Rock band, not to point any fingers or say any names, but Michael Tano, <coughs> uh, rock band Mike, and, um, and and they start podcasting that way, and and you listen to the content, and the content is absolutely fantastic. What they're saying is amazing. How they're saying it is amazing. Their presentation is is incredible. Their ability to communicate with other people and interact and engage their audience is great. What sucks is the audio quality. And then you start looking at what it really takes to do a professional broadcast properly. And uh, I, I am very, very fortunate and very thankful to the folks at Leighton Broadcasting for kind of taking me under their wing and letting me use their multi-million dollar broadcast facility, play around with their toys and sending me to, to do all of this training and, and really educating me on the art of, on the art of, of the broadcast at the highest level, audio production at the highest level with absolutely no compromise where, you know, millions and millions of dollars, quite literally, are, are, is the standard. And watching where the difference is, uh, what I've learned is that it, it doesn't take millions of dollars to do a high-end broadcast. It does take thousands of dollars to do it right. And um, so as I've kind of walked through that and as, I, and as I've tried different methods and different methodologies to connect and different technologies and, and so on and so forth, we have landed on a couple of things that work very well for us. And we've also found some things that don't work very well. And... Um, 
what I have started to do is really play with the ability to send audio and encode audio and then send it over the internet. And um, I've, I've been encoding audio and sending it locally around the studio for a long time. And uh, we've used a, a number of different technologies, everything from hardware uh, devices that encode audio and send them back to the studio to apps on a smartphone. Uh, we've used a SIP and a, and a, and a, and a basically a, a thing that we created. Um, we have used Source Connect. I've talked about Source Connect before. It's a fantastic service. If, you're, if, if you don't have a budget at all, Source Connect is probably the way to go because it's a web-based service. It utilizes WebRTC, but it's WebRTC that is optimized for broadcast. In the past couple of months, I have been able to, both with my connections at Latent Broadcasting and working with um, folk, people like, like, uh, like, our, like, um, like Rivendell. That's a great example of a project and a group of developers that are doing amazing things that are very passionate about high-end broadcast um, with no compromise. And uh, being able to talk to these people and kind of pick their brain and learn where the pain points are and essentially what their technology is capable of talking that interview with Fred alone out of all the special episodes we've done I'd say that's probably my favorite one well, me personally they're all good they all have great information but me personally if I go back and listen to one I just keep listening to Fred I listen to his passion and I listen to the way that he worked with the Telos Alliance to say hey you've got this piece of great hardware that does a lot of broadcasting and I can write a piece of software to complement it and uh, we started to look into that and I started to work with a developer and we said is there a way to get better audio than we're getting currently with Source Connect Obviously, there's a way to do it over hardware. Obviously, there's a way to do that with ISDN lines. And can we do that in software? And eventually, what we came to the conclusion of is what we had to do was essentially develop a, a physical hardware box that can, that can take the audio and spit it in as IP over into our automation system. And at the same time, um, we needed a piece of software that anybody could connect to. And so we have been partnering with the, these various companies, and like I said, we've actually hired a developer and had him working on some of this stuff. And uh, what we've come up with is pretty exciting. And I've used it uh, enough times to know that this is the direction I want to go with this, and I want to open this up to other people that want to make independent content. We now have the ability to send near linear audio quality. If you don't understand what linear audio is, essentially uncompressed linear audio requires about 2.5 megs per channel. Now, we're not quite there yet to where we can have 2.5 megs anywhere in the I guaranteed 2.5 megs consistently anywhere in the country, but we're getting very, very close. And so utilizing some special compression techniques and stuff like that, we are able to reliably and consistently connect almost near linear, just about perfect audio from anywhere in the country back to our, our head studios in Grand Forks, North Dakota. And so what I have started to look at doing and uh, where we're going to go in 2019, where Ask Noah is going to go and Altaspeed Technologies as a company is we want to extend these, this technology to you, the independent content creator. And so November being podcast month is the perfect time to talk about this. Ask Noah 100, looking at what, I, what we have learned in just over a year in 100 episodes is absolutely incredible. If I could go back. Oh my gosh, if I could go impart on my, my, my previous self on what I've learned in 100 episodes, I mean, we do things entirely differently today than we did on day one when we started the show. And part of that is these hard-learned lessons, some of which is that it costs a lot of money. So we have been approaching 
uh, essentially radio studios around the country and said, hey, what would what we would like to do? Do you have a spare production that's already set up with a high quality broadcast, you know, professional microphone, a high quality uh, broadcast grade console that's already set up for mix minus with guests and all of those kinds of things? And uh, would you be able to set up our, our our transmission system that we can get audio back to to our studio? Would you be willing to do that? And uh, what we found is either we're able to tie into existing hardware that the radio station has, or we're able to provide it for them. And so the idea would be something like this. In 2019, we want to offer a service to independent content creators, high-end independent content creators, because obviously, you know, doing stuff at this level, you know, there, there's some money involved. But high-end uh, independent content creators, if you... How would you feel about having podcasting as a service, podcast production as a service, where you pay a monthly fee and we'll take care of everything for you? We'll give you a place to go. You just show up. We'll have an engineer standing by that has everything already set up, already connected, near linear audio quality back to our studio, where we'll take care of the best audio processing money can purchase, the best streaming infrastructure money can purpose or money can purchase. And um, we'll take care of all the distribution for you. For an extra fee, we'll take care of all the social media, all of the promotion, all of that stuff. I think we're going to be able to do this, and I think that this is a service and a, a medium that is not currently very well populated. There's not a lot of people doing this. At least I haven't found anybody doing this. And so we're going to reach out to, to, to more of these places and say, hey, we want to set this up. And of course, the Ask Noah Show has been doing shows from various different studios all the way around the country. We have a way to do it better than anybody else. And I think that's where, one, where money can be made, but also how you can really serve an audience, how you can really serve a customer is when you can offer a service and or product that nobody else can offer. And I think we can do that because we're, we're hackers, right? We're, we're the kind of people that will take something and say, okay, this is good. This product that this company makes is good. We can make it better because we can tie it into the software component. And we can we can modify some software over here and, and do this over there. And we can build this system to where... Literally, you can go anywhere in the country, and with your membership fee, you can participate in this independent content creation. So if that's something you're interested in, I'd love to hear from you live at AskNoahShow.com. This is not something, this is something obviously that's going to take a little bit to get fully rolling. Again, we have tested the hardware, we have tested some of the software stuff that we've done, and all of that works great. Now it's a matter of getting all of that to participating radio stations. And obviously, you know, if you're a high-end podcaster... And I say high-end because, again, there's some money involved. If you're a high-end podcast, you say, I'd open my studio up to something like that. I'd be willing to let people, you know, use that. Then, obviously, we would give you a, you know, a part of the, of the membership fee, something like that. And, and, uh, and we would build a community, a community of independent content creators. And I think that will be a real benefit to everybody. I think it'll be a benefit to people that have spent thousands of dollars on equipment that gets used once a week because a lot of people that are doing podcasts are just doing it once a week. And I think it's a benefit for those that say, listen, I don't have $10,000. I don't have $20,000 to build out a studio, but hey, I got something to say. So if somebody would just loan me a microphone and show me where the on button is and somebody takes care of all that technical stuff, man, I, I have something to say about that. one 855 noah that's 855-450-6624, the email, live at Com. Again, at live at the Tamarack Tap Room in Woodbury, Minnesota. Hey, Simon, why don't you throw that headset out? I want to chat with you for a second. So Simon Quigley joins us. Uh, Simon is the uh, release manager for Lubuntu. He is the, I don't know what your title is, the executive, uh, executive multitasking ninja for AltaSpeed. 
<laughs> and uh, you know, executive producer of the uh, the Ask Noah show. We, we 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 call you all sorts of things. Most of them are not uh, family friendly or appropriate, <laughs> right? Uh, you made the drive all the way from Wisconsin. Yeah, I made the drive from Green Bay, Wisconsin. How was that for you? Pretty good, actually. Nice drive. So I understand. So you and Dalton Durst are both here. So Dalton lives about halfway between Green Bay, Wisconsin, and Minneapolis. Is that right? Right. So you guys sat and talked about Ubuntu, I assume, the whole way. Pretty much. Okay. What did we learn? I I, I don't know, really. I mean, it's 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 interesting because the two projects that we're in, um, we're in different sub-projects, I guess, you'd, of Ubuntu. Um, okay. And so he does he does more of Ubuntu touch stuff. Um, Dalton Durst is a developer for the UB Ports project. And mm-hmm. um, it's really interesting what we can learn from each other sometimes just by, you know, sharing a car ride. Um, it's just discussions we've had within our community, um, how things work within our community, I guess. Um, different situations we've had to deal with. And in general, just... Um, as sub-projects within Ubuntu, it's it's interesting to discuss what's happening for the next releases. Um, there's there's really not much to it, I guess. Sure, no, that's that's fair. Yeah, there's just there's not a lot. But you know, here's the thing: in in the canonical Ubuntu world, it has to be an interesting time, right? Because mm-hmm. I don't know if y'all heard, Red Hat just got a real big check. Yeah, yeah. So. So now th- that's where we're at today is Red Hat just got a real big check. And this is at a time where Canonical is undoubtedly has been for some time planning to go public or at least, you know, trying to prep the company to get there. Right. And it's, it's interesting because um, Ubuntu as a project is independent from Canonical, but a lot of developers from Canonical work on Ubuntu. I think the Ubuntu desktop team is up to like 12 or 13 people working on it. And um, it's interesting because interacting with these teams within Canonical and within the Ubuntu community, you really get a, an idea that while we are, while we are in our separate projects, that we all share some common parts and we can all work together on a lot of different things. You are the release manager of Lubuntu. Have you put any thought into, hey, here's what Red Hat is doing. How does that affect Fedora? Does it affect Fedora? Maybe it doesn't, right? I've asserted <laughs> that Fedora has been an independent project since before IBM got involved, and I think that Red Hat has the integrity uh, to, 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 to let Fedora continue to be an independent product, or even outside of what has transpired with IBM. But as you, as a release manager for a distribution that's very closely tied to the hip, to Canonical and Ubuntu proper, mm-hmm. and looking at this and saying, well, you know, a lot of people have speculated, maybe Microsoft steps in and says, well, IBM has Red Hat, maybe we'll have Canonical, we'll just buy ourselves some Linux. Do you look at that and say, I would I wouldn't mind working for Microsoft or do you look at that and say you know what <laughs> if that happens I got to uh, I got to jump ship. You know it just it really depends on on how things turn out. Um, if Microsoft goes and buys it and then does massive performance in the project I could see myself leaving. But if mm-hmm. they if Microsoft um, keeps it keeps Canonical separate and keeps Canonical as the company it once was, sure we're going to get a, a big hit I guess from people who have moved away from Microsoft Windows because of the t- decisions that Microsoft has made. They want to, to move to Linux for freedom. So some of those users, yes, they're going to go away. But I think long term, as a contributor, I would just have to see how it plays out. It just really depends on, on the situation. Sure. Do you have a backup plan in your mind? Or have you have you thought about that? Of The, the thought has crossed my mind. Um, I'm, not, I'm not entirely sure what that would be yet. But sure. you know, the thought has crossed my mind. Where do you see Lubuntu going? 
you know, like, what are your priorities? Like, because, you know, in, and this is where I'm at, too, right? And it's kind of the two topics really tie together because, you know, Ask Noah Show and and uh, this cloud podcasting system that we are looking at creating or, or essentially rolling out. Um, obviously, we're planning that for 2019 in 2018 because we're kind of winding down the end of the year. And we're saying, where do we want to be at the end of 2019? Then what are the points in between here and there? to get there how do, how do we get us there that's where i'm looking at so you have to be looking at that with lubuntu right mm -hmm. and and you know you've just made this change to qt you know, semi-recently anyway mm -hmm. and now you've got this news with red hat and you know the, the linux landscape is just changing a lot where where do we want to be at the end of 2019 at the, end of, at the end of 2019, it's going to be interesting because 18.10 was our first release with LXQ, and um, with a major release like this, of course, the whole release is a new feature, and that is that is far from an understatement. Um, I think the one of the only components that didn't change was the window manager, and you know, it's 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 really interesting doing a major shift in technology like that. Um, we had to we did put out a blog post. You can find it at lubuntu.me, l-u-b-u-n-t-u.me slash taking a new direction, and it's basically we need to look at at the projects and our priorities and decide whether it can survive the next five years. And part of that is computers are evolving. There there are still going to be some computers that sure don't run really really well with something like KDE plasma but it's that market is slowly but surely diminishing um i guess one of the one of the main things we've had to look at as a project is do we want to continue supporting that old hardware or do we want to continue just doing something else um and we had to make the decision to after a good amount of time move on and work with something else um we're we're just focusing on modernizing at this point. So we're getting feature parity with some of the major desktops like Mate and some some part with KDE Plasma, but our goal is going to be um, to keep a light desktop by default and allow users to build off of that and do what they want with it mm. and use it as sort of a utilitarian distro, I guess. I guess the the goal really is not set in mind because you could call you could call any one of these other distros the same thing. But I guess what we're looking at right now, I, I really don't say. I really don't think that a year ago I could have predicted where we are now. I know we well, did the yeah. LX, yeah. I know. I know we did the LXQ transition. I guess it really depends on where it goes. Um, sure. So I guess where where my where I'm currently looking at this point is 2019. We're going to be trying to add new features and trying to make it a usable modern desktop. That's going to be the underlying goal here. But in general, I just I think having these overarching goals, sometimes we all pretty much want the same thing. We want a desktop yeah. that, you know, is usable, right? Mm -hmm. We want our users to have a good experience. And sometimes, you know, sometimes that's not easily met. Sure. No, that makes perfect sense. Uh, I, 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 We've got an email, and Scott, I'll get to your email here in, in just a second. I might actually bring Brandon on for that one. Um, before before you do, before I let you go, though, uh, Simon, I'm just going to ask you. So, um, obviously, Asno Independent, after after episode 100, mm -hmm. um, where do we go? You know, you're the executive producer of the show. I kind of rely on you as kind of the community plug to kind of stay plugged into the community, what the community wants, um, because my ear always is into the ground as I'm, you know, doing my day job. Um, where do you think we go? At this point, I just I think we should continue doing what we're doing, and like you said, you know, at episode one, you really couldn't have predicted where we are today. I guess mm -hmm. you, you 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 could give yourself a lot of a lot of lessons on episode one that you've learned through 100 episodes, right. and I really think that 
through the next couple of years, um, as the Ask Noah show continues to evolve, I think we're only going to get better and better, of course. Yeah. Um, I guess to answer the question, I just think that, you know, we're, we're going to build off of it. And um, I, I, I really don't have anything to say on that. No, no, that no, that makes sense. And you know, the thing is, I, I and I have uh, again, I, I I look to you for you know for that kind of that community angle. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, the way that surfaces is uh, is is just in the fact that you'll say, "Hey, I, I heard that this story is bigger. I, I hear this thing coming about, and and can we talk about this? Or you need to talk about this and stuff like that, right? The long term stuff or the 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 ten thousand foot view. Oftentimes, I'll kind of take take over that myself um and and what i have seen where i think we really excel simon is just in in doing some of this live coverage and that's what i think i really want to focus on and do more brandon johnson how's it going how we doing good good to finally meet you in person man yeah good to meet you too man thanks for taking the time to be here so we got a question and i i feel like uh this is gonna be right up your alley Scott writes in. Scott writes to live at AskNoahShow.com. You can, too, and add your voice to the conversation. He says, thanks for a great program. As a person who is hard of hearing, I always appreciate the audio levels are great, loud and clear. Great job. Thank you. Uh, My question today is, why are some USB drives not bootable? In other words, sometimes I format the drive, and no matter what I do, no matter what ISO writer I use, no matter how I write the ISO to Linux, some drives simply just won't work. Then some drives will hold data, but they just won't function as a live boot device. I'm puzzled. Any clue? Hmm. So that sounds like maybe uh, uh, the disk get, uh, partition just not set to boot. I think that's just what it sounds like to me. So let me run something by. Here's what I've run into, and I and this is why I brought you on because you know you're far more knowledgeable in some of this stuff than I am. But one of the things that I have noticed, and I, I question if this doesn't play into it a little bit. Some USB drives, when you'll plug them in, will show up as a quote-unquote removable storage device. Mm-hmm. And other USB devices, and I can point to a specific brand, would be the SanDisks, they actually show up, even if they're a USB flash drive, they'll show up as a hard disk. Mm-hmm. And so it looks to the computer almost as if there is a SATA drive in now, It shows up over USB, but it looks mm-hmm. like it's, a, it's an actual hard drive. Does that play into it at all where the computer goes to boot and you maybe choose in the boot menu boot off of an external USB stick and it says well but that's a that is a internal drive I I haven't ran into that at all I haven't ran into that at all so I couldn't really tell you Um, really you've never had a USB drive that wouldn't boot no I I I have a bunch of I use almost exclusively Kensington and do you really yeah and it's been flawless for that type of boot um uh uh, for live CD, I, like usually I just use DD. I don't use any other tool, and DD seems to just do the trick. Hmm. The, I, so I started using DD, and I, I eventually went over to um, what is the uh, no, Etcher? Yes, thank you, Etcher.io. Guy nailed it here. Uh, and and I actually is it's a, there's a funny backstory to that. I actually ignored uh, our editor at the time. Kept telling me to try Etcher, I, and I just kind of ignored him because that's what I do sometimes because I'm a jerk. And um, eventually realized that it's a really fantastic piece of software. Runs right out of the box and uh, has and and where I have found sometimes where DD doesn't work. And I don't know if it's I don't know if it's maybe I'm not specifying the right block size or maybe I'm not specifying one at all. Sometimes. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what that is, but I have had issues where USB drives won't boot. Yeah, but like probably like a, um, 
I was thinking, just thinking, actually, that if it's a USB 2 uh, stick, it may, it may not be bootable. Um, I, uh, it's been a long time since I've dealt with USB 2 uh, thumb drives, so that, hmm. that's my that's my neck my next thought on that. Yeah, I you know that yeah that and I have I I have a, a wide collection of USB drives. I have had some King Kingsington is it Kingsington Kingston mm-hmm. Kingston Kingston or whatever you pronounce it. <laughs> K diddly ding dong, um, and and I've not found those to be problematic. For me, I've had the best luck with Sandisk, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the other things I've been able to do with Sandisk, and I'm gonna pick your brain about this good idea, bad idea, indifferent. Um, I have I've actually taken the, the like the 3.0. USB sand disks and I've actually installed a Linux distro on them and I use it as a portable hard drive and one of the reasons I settled on Sandisk to do that is because the computer actually sees it as a hard drive and so when I go into the BIOS mm-hmm. or now the UEFI UFI, um, so you ever notice we pronounce BIOS but we don't pronounce UFI for some reason? Yeah. Um, when, I, when I go into the, the, the BIOS or the UEFI, I'm, I'm able to set it, boot off of this hard, boot off the internal drives first. If you can't find something, then mm-hmm. go ahead and go you know, out to network wherever. And it will respect that even though it's a, it's a USB flash drive. Yeah. So I've been able to do that. So, yeah, and, 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 and that has been, it's been great because I always know that I have a copy of Linux with me that mm-hmm. I'm able to boot off. In fact, I've got it with me right now. And I'm able to boot off of it and I can, I can stick this drive into a computer and I've got my own environment with some of my own software, access to my email client, my VPN is all configured, all of that good stuff. Mm-hmm. I do the same thing. Yeah, fantastic. So uh, are you at liberty to talk about what it is you do, maybe just in a general sense, even if you're not given any names? <laughs> yeah, so I... Uh, I uh, uh, help lead container strategy for a VAR, uh, a nationwide VAR. So, okay. Well, excuse my ignorance. What is a nationwide VAR? What is that? Uh, value-added reseller. I see. Okay. Yeah, so I primarily focus on Red Hat. Yeah, you wouldn't know much about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. So that, that's that's basically what I do. And that's, that's a fairly new gig, right? Yes. That's cool. And you've been doing that for a couple of months? Uh, three months. Okay. So do you find yourself working inside of multiple different environments you're not uh, you're not in the same client every time yep yeah I'm, I'm in different city every week and then you're directing these people back mm-hmm. oh, that's fantastic so one of the other things uh, i was going to pick your brain about tonight we don't have to do this on the air per se but since i got you on mic i'll ask um i have a couple people lined up uh for an ansible episode you and i were chatting in the mumble room mm-hmm. a couple uh, last week i guess about mm-hmm. ansible yep ended up sparking a huge discussion Discussion in the Telegram group. I got private messages about it. I got email messages about it. I mean, the world just blew up, and everybody wants to know about Ansible. Mm-hmm. So I started playing with myself a little bit, and I was actually blown away with literally how, not that I should be surprised because you and Eric both told me this, but you know, within 10 minutes you can have some of this stuff set up. Mm-hmm. So do you have some, uh, some super secret contacts or maybe even yourself you want to subject yourself to something where we can do a, a, an entire episode on Ansible? And uh, maybe walk some people through that. Maybe provide some some video tutorials on how they can get started with that. I might be able to do that. That'd be fantastic. I, I think that'd be because I I think it's one of those things where everybody has, especially in the age of VPSs, where people start spinning up servers for everything. Um, and actually, one of which we're going to get to here in just a moment. Um, I, I I think what where we wind up is. We don't have a we don't have a good way to manage some of that stuff, and so oftentimes it's not that we. It's not that we don't care. It's just that if the server continues to work, 
then we don't really think about it. And oftentimes what that leads to is we just don't update the thing, right? Exactly. And, and maintenance gets left by the side, and then security becomes a bother. And then when something does go wrong, we look, and, look up and go, oh, my gosh, man, I, haven't, I really haven't touched this thing in, in two years. Now what do I do? Mm -hmm. If I do update it, is anything going to break? And so having, you know, being able to automate some of that maintenance and, and whatnot and then being able to keep an eye on it, yeah. that's a huge value. Now, automation is uh, eating the world. I mean, it's just... Uh, I think it's the most important thing in IT. Um, like uh, whether if you're talking automating servers or automating network devices, uh, having consistent configuration and uh, consistent updates across all your systems, I think is extremely important. Absolutely. One last thing before I let you go, and then I'll I'll I'll, uh, I'll jump to Dalton here. But I was going to ask you your opinion on. Hybrid cloud provider. That seems to be the buzzword that is going on all over the place. And I won't ask you about Red Hat specifically, but what is a hybrid cloud provider? Good thing, bad thing, <laughs> indifferent? I think it's a great thing. Okay. Uh, so hybrid cloud basically just means um, I have on-prem hardware and I'm utilizing uh, uh, public cloud. So right. AWS gcp azure or or you have nothing on-prem and you're using multiple cloud providers that's basically all hybrid cloud is and the so so the advantage is and i guess i wasn't familiar with the second definition i was familiar with the first is if you're you know in in this in your example you're able to utilize the advantages of quote-unquote cloud infrastructure i'm just going to call it someone else's computer while at the same time maintaining your own reliability because you mm -hmm. do have an on-premise yeah and, and, like, and like kind of the nirvana there is the uh, ability to um, move workloads seamlessly between on-prem and public cloud. I mean, that that's really the goal. And uh, that's what a lot of projects like Kubernetes, that's kind of the goal. Um, be able to have clusters of Kubernetes on-prem and off-prem. And... Uh, um, uh, I uh, so, you know just move be able to move workloads without uh, without having to change a line of code, like absolutely all the developers need to do, and all the all the developers should ever need to care about is writing code, and that's what technologies like OpenShift or um, Kubernetes, you know, even generic Kubernetes enable. Absolutely, no, that's fantastic, and I would like to di I you know I want to dig more into that uh, as time goes on, is particularly uh, you know with Red Hat and obviously their focus on uh, on hybrid cloud and stuff. Um, I, I think all of that is is important. It, it, it does bother me that it's being thrown around as a, like a buzzword. Um, I hate it anytime, anytime, because what happens is people that have no idea what Linux is or really what a computer is other than that big boxy thing that sits on my desk because they work for some major news organization or whatever, they latch on to these, these words that they hear and they go, oh, that sounds technical and I'll sound like I know what I'm talking about and then they start throwing it around and that kind of drives me nuts. And, uh, you know, when, when uh, I had heard about the, the quote-unquote hybrid cloud and, uh, when the, and when the merger broke, obviously I did some digging then and I went, hey, that sounds like that's a that's a ASNO approved thing that you would have the advantages of the cloud and yet you'd have an on-site on-site uh, you know device like thing, um, and so then I was kind of all in on it. And I thought, well, if Red Hat gives it its stamp of approval and they're going to become the number one hybrid cloud provider in the world, and that's what it's capable of, 
Yeah, I'm all bored. I'm all bored with that. Again, open phones one eight fifty five four fifty no. That's eight five five four five zero six six two four. Or in our interactive mumble room. By the way, as part of our independence, um, a couple of things. Uh, first is we have a new interactive chat room, and you can find it at pound ask Noah show in Freenode. And uh, I have gone back and forth. There is a raging debate, and so you two can add your voice to the conversation of if it's pound or if it's hashtag or if it's slack or shift three. Oh, Simon's very upset. I guess he'll have to jump in here and add his voice to the conversation. Uh, but right now, right now, Simon, right now, right now, right now, I'm going to talk to Dalton about the Ubi ports and very. Oh, now he's throwing stuff again. There, there they go. Now he's punching Brandon. And so now it's getting to be a mess. Dalton, you're the only civilized human being here. How are you? Why, thank you. Hey, Noah. Great to be here. Hey, thanks for taking the time to be here. So you drove half as far as he did. Yeah, I drove him. And then, oh, did you? Mm -hmm. Did you go pick him up, or he came to you? He came to me. Uh, we left his. That was uh, good planning. Great car. Behind. Are you making fun of his vehicle? I am. You yeah. know, when I was 16 years old, you know what I drove? No. I drove a 1994 Ford Explorer. Whatever car he has, I promise you mine was worse. I don't know about that. Uh, I'm willing to challenge. Here's the thing. So, after I bought this, after I bought this vehicle, first thing I did is I decided I was going to make it the ultimate nerdmobile. Mm. So, I put a laptop. It was an IBM ThinkPad 701C. Now, this is before your gener This is before your time. How old are you? 21? 22? 20. Okay, alright. So, you would not remember this, but for those of you that are nostalgic a little bit, IBM 701C, are you old enough to remember this? The butterfly? The ThinkPad that had the butterfly keyboard? Brandon uh. shaking his head. It was the coolest thing ever. Why nobody has done this since then, I'll never know. But I had an IBM ThinkPad 701C and a docking station mounted into it, and I put directional antennas on top so I could I could do fox hunting for ham radio. It was fantastic. Looked ridiculous, but it was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Uh, my dad was an old ham, so... Or, grandpa, sorry. So I completely get the whole antennas everywhere thing. It looks awesome. Yeah, well, I I thought it looked great. I was I was real happy about it. So tell me about what's new with the with Ubi ports. I you know it's one of those things. I mean I'm gonna level with you. I would never say this to you unless we were in person. And you know I've gotten a chance to kind of know you a little bit, so I feel more comfortable telling you this. But like, I just I really question you people who try to go out there and and compete in the Android iOS world. I, mean, I think mm -hmm. you're I think you're almost crazy. You know, trying to compete in that because you you've got this the, these the both of these 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 this world is so heavily dominated and i think it's really cool because i absolutely think there's a market out there of people that say hey listen i want a third alternative heck i'm one of those people to a certain degree because i don't really like ios or android but i mean does this have a shot especially in the in the age of apps where everything has to have an app and, and your platform is really defined by who publishes an app to you yeah we always get that kind of um talk when we're mm -hmm. anywhere sure so i completely get that idea um that's what everyone has been saying from the beginning of a mm -hmm. touch right mm -hmm. i mean what we can say to that is we don't need to beat either android or ios completely we need to have our user base who is happy with our product and as long as we are growing that which we are uh, it doesn't need to be at the level of Android or iOS, even though we would love it to be. Wow. Um, we're very humble in that way, that we understand that there are people who need this app on iOS or this app on Android, and that's sure, why sure. we are working to bring in Anbox, which is the Android compatibility layer for Android apps. Right. Uh, you can install that now on Ubuntu Touch in beta, or pre-alpha. And... We have lots of projects like that that are going on. Our sure. new browser, uh, 
web apps have always been a big part of Ubuntu Touch, so everyone's got a website, right? And a mobile website at that. So Absolutely. Those also work and they look all right on the platform. So That's awesome. We've got a lot of things going on and we are really man, happy I, to I, I gotta tell you, man, I really like that answer. So it's not about can we get huge market dominance? It's can we serve the people that want to use our product well? Can okay. we deliver on their expectations? Absolutely. And so if their expectations are I want a privacy first operating system that I that I can trust and I can put my data on there. And I can trust that that data is secure and that data is private. And I can also trust that the platform is open so I can I, I feel free to make changes. I feel free to customize or fork if it ever comes to that. Mm -hmm. You know that that's the kind of base you're building and then you're delivering to that user base. Yes, absolutely. And um, so people can keep naysaying that we're out to make a product that makes ourselves and our, our customers happy. Uh, Ubi, or, uh, uh, JJ4884 in the chat room asks, are snap packages allowed? They are not currently installable on Ubuntu Touch. Part of the problem is that we have uh, older kernels because of Android, so we're running 3.4 on the Nexus 5. Nexus 5. Mm -hmm. um, and we also don't have systemd, so it's a bit of a weird layer stuff. It's not yet. We're looking into it, but at the moment, that's not fitting into our model. And we also have the problem of... Um, confinement uh, and our apps being mobile apps desktop apps don't exactly look great on a five inch screen um, so some of the snap packages might not be the most fun to use you know that's interesting and, and I, I've talked about this before a good desktop operating system does not make a good phone operating system and a good phone operating system sucks when you get it on a 30 inch display you know a 30 inch 4k display right I and and so the, the idea of snap packages on Ubi ports makes a lot of sense on the surface. Hey, somebody's already doing all the work to package all this stuff up. Let's just go ahead and run it on a phone. And then, hey, you know what? We're running on a laptop or running it on a tablet or running it on a phone. And, and all the applications that I have come to love and accept and appreciate and use on my laptop will just run on this, uh, on this five-inch phone. And then you're looking at it and you say, well, yeah, but the experience would suck if I tried to run LibreOffice Writer on a five-inch phone. Yep, and people do that, and that is indeed the case. Um, seeing people have LibreOffice Writer on that five-inch screen and the f file menu is taking up, you know, three bars because of scaling, it's just, right. it's a bit of a mess. It would be much better to have that native app that works on the platform, looks great, and converges. So we do have the feature where you can plug into an external display and everything scales to that display. Unity 8 was created with that in mind, mm -hmm. where... Um, the same things that you can do on the phone, you can do once you're off the phone. So you can have you can have uh, you can have essentially two apps installed, you know. In the in the I, 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 can you give me a good example of one? You could do that, but so one of the prime examples of that would be our email app Deco. Okay. So when you're on the phone, it's a one page app or mm -hmm. one pane. You have all of your emails in the list, mm. and you click one, and it slides over, and you have your email. Then once you get it on a tablet. It, you have the two-pane display where you have all of your emails on the left, and then the actual preview is on the right. And that's how you'd scale that. And once you're on a desktop, that becomes just a window instead of a full-page app. Mm -hmm. Apologies, I, I guess it's it's Ubi ports, not Ubi ports. <laughs> Someone correct you in the... Somebody's correcting me, yeah. Oh, I don't know, this uh, this uh, Tissimisk 2? Oh, that guy's a jerk. Yeah. yeah, I don't like that guy either. Mm -hmm. Eric, the IT guy, welcome to the conversation, man. How are you? Hey, how's it going? I'm jealous I couldn't be there. It was, you know, it was a, a quick six and a half hour drive that I couldn't make today. 
<laughs> but uh, I actually yeah. Well, you know, him. we're gonna have to talk about your priorities, but you know, we can deal with that another time. <laughs> you, you can beat me at uh, at Southeast Linux Fest. Uh, so, uh, Dalton, I wanted to ask uh, a quick question. So, for those of us that have been stuck on iOS for years and, and didn't know better until recently, uh, what would you recommend for, say, a budget phone and then and then more of a flagship phone for, for giving UbiPort a try? Totally. So, it does depend a bit on where you are in the world. In America, it's really easy to get the Nexus 5, for instance, on Swappa or eBay. So I'd totally recommend going for a Nexus 5 if you're in the U.S. Uh, you can also find the Nexus 4, um, Nexus 7 if you want a tablet, uh, 2013, not the 2012. Um, the faster phone would be the OnePlus One, and there's also the Fairphone 2 if you're in Europe or outside of America. And that's fun available fact, new. Fun fact, don't uh, don't try and put uh, UB ports on a uh, Nexus 5X because apparently there's a huge difference because that's that's kind of my test phone and uh, UB ports won't uh, won't install on it. <laughs> yeah, funny story. I actually got into Ubuntu Touch in August of 2016 because I wanted to port Ubuntu Touch to the Nexus 5X and it's been two years now and that still hasn't happened, but I'm still trying. <laughs> <laughs> Any other thoughts or questions, Eric? Uh, well, except for uh, after the show's over, I think I want to go on eBay and list my 5X and see if I can't get my hands on a 5. Yeah, you bet. You bet. Thanks uh, Thanks for jumping in there. And, of course, anybody else in the mumble room, you're welcome to do so as well. 855-450-NOAH. That's 855-450-6624. The email, live at asknoahshow.com. So something else I have to I have to bring up, because this actually is back early October. You wrote into the program, yeah, and uh, and you said you 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 heard us talking about MultiPass, and uh, and you said you wanted to offer a suggestion. Now I have been one of the uh, biggest proponents of things like the MultiPass, the hardware pa password based manager, and uh, and what 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 gang device are you pulling out of your pocket here? Okay, so tell me what this is. So this looks like it looks like almost like a U or like a flash drive with buttons on it. Kind of looks like the YubiKey with buttons on it. Hey, yeah. So it's the uh, this is the only key from uh, Crypto. Okay. They, it's a hardware password manager and two-factor authentication device. Okay. So it does uh, FIDO-U2F, it does TOTP-ish. Uh, you need an agent on the computer to do that to give it the oh, time. Okay. okay. Um, does, it work, does that agent work in Linux? Yes. Okay. Yep. Uh, Mac, Windows, and Linux apps for it, and an Android app that is in development, so it's nice. So can, well, can you use this to, to authenticate into an SSH server? I haven't tried that yet. Uh, they do say that they're working on that SSH key smart card type scheme, but I'm not sure that they have it there yet. Mm. So what happens is when you plug it in and you can plug it in, uh, right, yeah, if sure, you aren't we'll afraid that. of blowing up your laptop or anything. Wait, it blows up my laptop? <laughs> no. Nah. So once it Jesus, boots up... Is it supposed to be smoking like that? <laughs> makes tons of lights. And at this point, it's waiting for me to enter a pin. Okay. So right when it's plugged in, it waits for a pin. Okay. Um, I'll cover yeah, right. Oh, right. we can't do it? Okay. All right. and but you'd enter the pin, and then what would happen? At that point, it's open for 12 slots of passwords or wow. second-factor authentication. slots? Yep. So you can have any of your passwords stored for any of your uh, accounts. It'll also do um, username, tab, password, enter, 
if you wanted to do that. It basically just types out your <laughs> passwords for it. No for kidding. You. Yeah. So it emulates a USB keyboard. It does. So the advantage to that, folks, if you're not listening, if you're not, if you're not thinking about it, if you think about how DigitalOcean, for example, does their console access, right? It's doing a little VNC magic and then putting that into like this little JavaScript window deal. And obviously your system isn't really able to talk to that. I mean, you're, obviously a keyboard input can go, but a password manager can't recognize that it's prompting for a password because it's this VNC session inside of this JavaScript Java session thing. So what Dalton is describing is the ability to, he can push a button and authenticate into literally anything that you could type your password into. Yep. But of course, more secure. Mm -hmm. And it has two different profiles, so you can have two different pins set to enter into a different profile, say if you want to work in a home. Um, and it also has a self-destruct pin, which I will not enter at this point. <laughs> I like using my laptop, so... Does it give any indication that you have, uh, you've entered a self-destruct pin? It does not. Uh, all God, that will happen really cool. is it stops functioning or are you familiar are you familiar with these digital strip searches have you heard about this i have not so in sweden we talked about this a little bit last on on uh, episode 98 i think of, of ask noah show which is a great episode by the way it's the it's the stump the chump stump the linux chump episode so we invited our friends from destination linux to come over and answer some questions hilarious episode because we just we just had fun with the thing but um one of the things that came up was this digital strip search and the digital strip search is essentially countries uh in europe in eastern europe are starting to require people to decrypt their device before they're able to be admitted into the country. And if you, if you don't, they either hit you with a very large like five or $10,000 fine, or they actually confiscate your device. So the ability to say, oh, sure, let me decrypt that for you, beep, 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 I don't know what happened. It, it just, it went up in flames and started smoking. I'm not sure why that happened. And then doesn't say, you know, self-destructing or some stupid thing. Right. Yep. So would this work on my laptop as, I mean, obviously you're not going to enter pin, but if you did, would it work on my laptop or would I have to install an agent? Uh, for the typing features, it works straight out of the box. If you want to use But the, you can only store 12 of those. Right. Um, for U2F and that kind of thing, it might need some rules set. It doesn't on Windows or Mac OS or Chrome OS I've tested, mm, but okay. on Linux it might need some rules set to actually allow it to access the device for U2F, and in Firefox, you do need to enable that in About Config. What's your daily driver? Like, what are you running? Uh, for? Operating system. Oh, I'm running Pop! OS. Okay. Which, um, yeah, I saw that around the table. <laughs> you what? I saw that around the table. Well, I, I, mean, I mean, we can, I mean, really, that wasn't really wasn't where I was going with it, but I mean, we can talk about that. I mean, why Pop! OS? Of, of all of the Ubuntu derivatives that are out there, and being a developer, somebody who can quite literally open the code up and say, I don't like this thing, let me fix it. Pop! OS is, I mean, is it not just Ubuntu with a theme on it? It is mostly, but they have one little thing that just annoys me with all the other Ubuntus, where okay. they use Grub uh, for their bootloader. So what Grub does is it, uh, after your UEFI boots, it boots into Grub, which takes, you know, several seconds, mm -hmm. and then from there it loads Linux. Now instead, Pop! OS uses EFI stub, which puts a Linux kernel directly into an EFI binary, which is run by your firmware. So it boots quick. Uh, I don't know if the audience actually heard me snap there, but... I think they probably did, but, but I guess my question to you is, like, so this laptop, when I installed KDE, Chris gave me a challenge. He said, I think you're going to really like KDE. I said, no, I won't. He says, yes, you do. He got lucky because that day GNOME crashed on me. I lost all of my show prep that day, and I was furious, and I literally grabbed the USB drive out of his hand, shoved it in my laptop while he sat in the corner smirking and, and wiped my computer clean of GNOME and installed KDE. The point of the story is that it has been so reliable and, 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 and so uh, stable 
that I have literally not just not had to reinstall, but I've not even I had not even rebooted the thing in six months until finally my battery died and it came back up and I'd actually forgotten my encryption password, got locked out of my laptop and had to reinstall because I couldn't decrypt my laptop. Felt like a total idiot. That also, by the way, happened on a Tuesday right before Ask No One, so I lost all my show prep a second time. Um, but point of the story being that I don't restart my laptop hmm. like ever, maybe one twice a year. And that's being generous. So you're using an entire operating system just because during the boot up process, which I would imagine uh, show of hands. How many people restart their laptops? Really? Y'all do. don't trust Linux quite often. <laughs> Why? Why does everybody restart their laptop? I do it because well, of full disk encryption. Go ahead in the mumble room. Yeah. Well, one of the one of the issues I have is I'm I'm running uh, Fedora on a Dell XPS 12, so it's it's their Ultrabook, it's their competition to the Microsoft Surface. There is a mm -hmm. bug with it that uh, suspend doesn't work properly. And Brandon and okay. I beat our yeah. beat our heads into a table trying to get it fixed, but uh, it's it's no, just I'm easier fine with, for me I'm fine to with that. If you got down. if you, sure, but so on the table here, why do you restart your laptop? Because you update your kernel. Okay, well yeah. updates. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. That too. Yeah, and I do, I mean I I run the updates, but I'm obviously the kernel isn't taking effect until until I've restarted. But uh, but I mean to me that just it that seems I just could never see myself picking an operating system based on that alone. Anything else that, that it does for you that you're like that's awesome or it's just man when I when I have to restart my computer I just like the fact that it boots three seconds faster. So originally it was because I loved Ubuntu GNOME the original Ubuntu GNOME, mm -hmm. and when they did switch to um, building their own mm -hmm. I didn't quite like the session they made mm. and I do like the tweaks that L System seventy six made. Sure. So. It's is it better now the stock stock version of Ubuntu? I still don't particularly like it. Really? Um, but uh, that's just one drop. Hey, in you know ocean. what? If if System seventy six adds a good theme, and you happen to like that theme, that's I, I, who am I to judge? I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, if that works, it works, and if it makes the computer boot even faster, even better. Where I really think that System seventy six is is going to gain some traction with pop underscore os exclamation mark is. Yeah. They are, I, I think, where they're going to reach. They're going to reach a point because they they care so much about the community and because they're so in tune with their users, they will make the operating system that people are willing to leave on the computer. Because I think, I think most of the places that sell Linux-specific laptops pretty much go acknowledge that, for the most part, people are going to take that computer, even if it comes pre-installed with Linux, and they're going to wipe it clean and put what they want on it. And I think Dell and System76 are the only two companies that are actually going to get to a a point where people will just leave the stock operating system installed. Again, you two can join us in our interactive chat room, Pound Ask Noah Show in on Freenode. Um, Jason P. asks, can it be used on Mac OS and Linux machines moving between two machines? So the, the security key, are you able to unplug this from my Linux box, plug it into a Mac, and use it there? Yes, so because it works as a USB keyboard, it'll work on any of those. It'll work on BSDs if you want to. You just won't be able to write new passwords to it. Um, and as long as you have the app installed, as soon as the device is unlocked, it is ready to accept new passwords. But it will not show you what they are in the interface. Hmm. That's very cool. That's a very clever device. And how much does that thing cost? Uh, $46. Okay, so it's on par with the YubiKeys. Mm -hmm. But you said no ability to authenticate with SSH. Correct. That, you're, that you're aware of anyway. Yeah, and obviously you could use the one-time password thing. You can make like a 256-character password or something, and then you'd mm -hmm. hit the button and then it would authenticate. Yeah. In a lot of ways, it'd be less secure, though. When I was looking for it, I was looking for something specifically that 
was open source and open hardware, ah. but wasn't, or and about the same price as the YubiKey. Because I really wanted a YubiKey, but I really didn't want the closed source part of it. You know, here's the interesting thing, Dalton. A lot of the competitors that try to do an open source or alternative to the YubiKey, quite frankly, they suck at it. So, like, the Nitro Key, it's a great idea in theory. The build quality is horrendous. Like, I'd be afraid of dropping the thing. I'd be afraid it smashes. Whereas my YubiKey, I take it around with me everywhere. I stepped on the thing. You know, I use it as a doorstop, quite literally. Uh, wedge it under, underneath the door, and it works. Yeah, he's, Brandon's smashing his phone to show how durable that is. And he's hitting his ThinkPad. Now he's hitting Dalton's head. Um, and, and, and what you find is that all of these competitors are, are, really, not, are really not doing... We're on a delay. Are really not doing a very good job. And this... this uh, is it the only key? Is that what it's called? Yes. It's very well built, and not only is it very, not only is the device itself very well built, but then they've got this little protective rubber jacket that's going over it to make sure that you understand it's it's ready for for prime time. You carry this thing in your pocket. You don't even have it in a case or in a computer bag. You're just carrying it in your front pocket. Yep, all the time. It stays on my keys, and here's it out of the case. I know. Yeah, that just very very well built. Audience, but. Yeah, no, but I but I can tell them because they trust me because it's my show that it uh, that it's very well built. You know, and you can just, you can feel that. And so that's absolutely fantastic. Well, thanks for sharing that, Dalton. I really appreciate it. And thanks for writing into live at asknoahshow.com. Sorry, we're just getting to that, that email now. I'm going to get better about that. That's my goal between episode 100 and 200 to do more emails. Si Simon is throwing gang symbols at me. What, what are you saying? Here, you can you hand, hand Simon the microphone. We just got a couple minutes left in the hour. Uh, what, uh, what, what, I, I don't, I don't speak sign language. What are you trying to say? I don't know. What am I trying to say? I don't know. You look like you're doing gang symbols. <laughs> Hey guys, a uh, couple of cool things. First of all, I want to say a huge thank you to the Jupiter Broadcasting audience. Those of you that have uh, have been with us since episode one, and those of you that have been with me personally since the Linux Action Show days back in, I think episode, uh, was it 300 I took over shortly before there? Um, I just want to say a huge thank you and for all of your support throughout the years, and uh, we hope that you'll stick with us. Like I said, not a lot is really going to change. Show is going to be at the same time. Phone number is going to stay the same. Only difference is, obviously, won't be on jblive.tv. It's only going to be on asknoahshow.com. But, like I've told you, that is where you should be going because the audio quality is fantastic there. And so we'd ask you to make sure to check out the show, continue to listen to the show live. Also, make sure that you subscribe to the Ask Noah specific feed. Go to podcast.asknoahshow and make sure to subscribe in your favorite um, uh, podcast catcher because after, this will be the last episode that you're going to get in the All Shows feed. And that goes for the All Shows video feed as well as the All Shows audio feed. You'll continue to get the Ask Noah Show in the Ask Noah Show video feed and you'll continue to get the Ask Noah Show in the, uh, on, the, on, the, um, on, the audio, uh, on the audio feed. Also, keep Keep in mind that uh, on YouTube, you're going to have to go uh, to uh, to our Ask Noah Show channel. That's where the episodes will get published. Now, I imagine that most people, when they're going to uh, when they're going to download, they're going to listen to the show on YouTube. They probably just type in Ask Noah Show and look at the latest episode. So, probably won't affect you so much. But just make sure to keep that in mind. We're also launching a new chat service. Um, we looked at how can we integrate irc into 2018 what is the most modern way that we can integrate uh chat into 2018 and so we're going to roll it out in a two-tier approach the first is going to be a public service so there'll just be a button on the chat or on the website starting next week that you'll go to and it'll be a web-based irc chat client uh, we invite you to check that out we think it's going to be a really fantastic way for you to interact with us um really hassle-free you know very modern up-to-date those kinds of things tier two is going to be really neat for those of you that are loyal ask no listeners the people that we see inside of the telegram group inside of the irc that are writing in, emailing to the show, we're going to give you a sign-up option, and we're going to put a second uh, 
server up essentially that you'll be able to authenticate into make sure to follow us on twitter at ask noah show again a huge thanks to chris fisher angela fisher the entire folks at linux academy for supporting us uh the entire time we're happy to be independent we'll see you next week 6 p.m central back to our tuesday schedule thanks everybody